0: I've always been fascinated by the idea of time travel, the idea of becoming unfixed, unstuck in time, and I can just go back in time and witness any event I wanted to witness. I think it all stems from the fact that I love history. I loved history class. Some of you are like, oh dear Lord, I'd rather have a blood transfusion than take history again. I loved it. It was the class I looked forward to all day long. I mean, if I was asleep, you know, those days where you're just like, I cannot wake up. History class. I came alive. I was the kid in history class that read ahead. You know, those kids. I was one of those kids in history class. I would read ahead. I loved, I think it was 11th grade U.S. history, for me anyway. It's getting further and further since I was in school, so... I don't know what it is now. But I would read ahead, I'm like, okay, World War I, World War II, and I'd have like the, you know, I'd have an idea of where we were before we even got there. I just loved it. Getting, getting being able to go back in time and see things like the signing of the Declaration of Independence. One of the things I always wanted to go back and witness was the D-Day invasions of Normandy. I mean, it's kind of bloody, but I mean, my goodness, what a pivotal event in history. I just loved that idea. And then of course, going back to biblical times and, and hearing Paul preach, seeing Jesus preach, that always really, really appealed to me. I remember, I, I think I was in seventh grade when the movie Back to the Future came out, the first one, the very first one. I loved, right, I loved that idea of being able to go back in time and see my parents in high school. It seems kind of weird now, but I mean, back then, I was like, that would be so cool. But as cool as going back in time would be, true time travel would also mean what, church? I would get to see what? The future. I would get to travel into the future. True time travel would mean I would get to go into the future and see myself, see things, the environment, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. True time travel would mean I would get to go into the future. I could possess the knowledge of what things would be like in the future. If we could do that, we would basically be able to remove the thing that so many of us struggle with and the thing we're talking about in this series called uncertainty. I would be able to remove the uncertainty by uncertainty. See you later. Not a problem anymore. Or would it be? I can think of no other time in recent, or I mean, and not so recent history, where things have been more uncertain than they are right now. Would you guys agree? It's just like nothing's off the table. I mean, my goodness. If you're like me, there have been so many times over the last few months, you've just kind of sat back in amazement and thought, okay, things have got to stabilize soon. Humanity has got to regain its sanity soon. And then as you think that, almost immediately, you realize, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't think that would be a possibility. I mean, of all the options, of all the things that I would have forecast or predicted, I didn't see that one coming. We're in very uncertain times right now. And through all of this, especially over the last couple of months, it just makes the thought of what, was, what, what is a sure thing? What is a slam dunk? What is something I can count on? Is there anything that's certain? So this idea of being able to venture into the future and remove the uncertainty becomes pretty appealing to us, right? It did to me, and then I said, but why? You know, I took it a step further. Did you guys ever sit and like think to yourself and some, one, of, one of your family members walks in the room, and is like, what are you doing? You're just staring at the wall. No, I'm not. I know. I do My daughters do that with me all the time. Dad, what are you doing? You're just sitting here. I thought, why, why would, why does that idea of being able to travel into the future seem so appealing? Would it remove the doubts and, and the worries that are associated with the future? Maybe, or would it just replace it with different concerns and stresses and worries, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. One of the things I realized uh, growing up as I went to like Sunday school and kind of became a little bit familiar with the Bible is I realized that God is actually the one that's who, that is who, he's in possession of these, of these abilities, this ability to exist outside of space and time. God's not confined by our timetable. He's not confined by our timeline. It's one of the most appealing things about God And it's one of the most hard to accept things about God. The idea that a loving God can know the future, the good and the bad. And we say, well, if you know, if you're there already, why don't you do something about it? There's actually a story in the Bible about, uh, um, he's called a prophet. His name is Habakkuk. He's called, don't name your kid Habakkuk. He is what's called a minor prophet, not because his words are less important, but because his book is along the lines of some of the other books in the Bible where they're shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah and Daniel. But Habakkuk actually, he has this dialogue with God, and he at one point makes this bold statement, which is kind of what we're talking about here. He says, God, I want to see the future. And God says, I don't think you do. And he says, no, really, I want to see the future. Please tell me, because Habakkuk has some some very reasonable and realistic gripes with God. Like, what, 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 I mean, injustice, why don't you do something about that? And God says, I am, and it's coming soon. And Habakkuk goes, let me see. And God says, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And Habakkuk says, no, try me, really. And so God tells him, and what do you think Habakkuk says? I don't believe it. And God's like, see, here we are. I told you you wouldn't. So knowledge of the future, though it may remove most of the uncertainty, doesn't necessarily mean it removes the stress and the anxiety and the concern. But if I not only had knowledge of the future, but I was also able to control the outcomes based on my behavior right now, now that seems pretty appealing, right? Right. Yes. But let's take that a step further. Now... I'm responsible for maintaining those outcomes. Because let's say I go, I mean, I was thinking about college um, finals when I was in, and even in high school as well. You get that syllabus, you know, at the beginning of the semester. And you know, I mean, it's almost kind of like a crystal ball really, which has been as a tangent, which has been one of the biggest struggles for college and high school students that as I talked to them during this whole pandemic thing, it was like, not even that. I mean, I got the syllabus. I didn't take my final when I thought I was going to take my final. But one of the things about that syllabus is you have you have the day of the week. You have the time. You have the room where you're going to be taking that final. Those of you who have been through that, did it alleviate the stress of the final? Yeah. Not really. No. So, if I were able to control the outcomes as well, I'd just be left maintaining outcomes. Because let's say I go and I instrument my behavior to to go, okay, I've seen in the future and I don't want that, so let me act in this way so I get there. But who's to say three steps down the road, I'm back maintaining the outcomes. So any way we slice it, we are left with a certain degree of uncertainty. Would you guys agree? Yes. I'm left with a certain degree of uncertainty someone once said nothing is certain except what two things death Death and taxes and we even got an extension on that this year (laughs) so what does that leave us with nothing is certain except death oh my goodness that's kind of a bleak view of things the only thing you can count on is that someday it'll all be done so how do we address the question for us this morning is how do we address this ever-present issue of uncertainty in our lives and the lives of those we love without just becoming depressed so let's start out let, let, let's start out easy let's start out easy let's talk about one way a lot of us kind of handle it. And it's kind of a band-aid approach. One of the things we do is we put our hope in other uncertainties. We wouldn't necessarily call them uncertainties at the time, but we go, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't lose hope, so I'm going, I gotta put my hope in something. So this is very uncertain in my life, so I'm gonna focus on this area. An example, if our home life gets really uncertain, a lot of us will pour into our careers as though that's a better certainty. Life at work takes a turn for the worst, start looking for other jobs, looking for other options. If we get sick, we think, well, at least I've got great, great health care and that's never gonna go away. Mm-hmm. Trying to alleviate the stress of uncertainties in one area of our lives by trusting in other certain, uncertain things is like taking poison, hoping to the, alleviate the effects of the poison just going to lead us right back to where we were. So we're still left with the question, what can I count on? Is there anything that's a slam dump? So church, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I was going to ask you guys which one you want first, but I'm just going to pick four. So let's talk about the bad news first. I always, raise your hand if you always chose the bad news first. Yeah. Wow, it's almost an even split. Let's talk about the bad news first. The bad news is that if you look at things just through a worldly experience, if you look at things through the lenses of just the 80, 90, 100, if we're lucky, years we have here, the answer to that question is no. Really, there's nothing. I think where we have been the last few months is kind of showing us a little bit about that. There's nothing that's certain. I, God works in such a mysterious, crazy ways. I know that sounds so cliche. About 20 minutes ago, maybe a half hour ago, I was running around here like a crazy man and a lot of the staff was too because none of the technology worked when we got here this morning. I mean, it was like it all fell into a technology black hole. Like, can we even count on electricity to work? So if we just look at things from a worldly perspective, the answer is, is absolutely not. If we just looked at things through a worldly perspective, there's not a whole lot, nothing really, I can count on. Now for the good news. The good news is that if I look at it from an eternal perspective, if I look at it from a biblical scriptural perspective, the answer becomes a resounding yes. There is something, the Bible is full of promises, and we're going to talk about one this morning that may just be the pinnacle of those promises. The answer is yes, a resounding yes, there is something that is certain, there is something that I I can count on, it's a slam dunk, it's a sure thing. So if you have your Bible here with you this morning, or maybe you have the app, there's notes, I put this all on the notes on the the web app, you can pull that up. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 38. So as you pull that up, let me give you a little bit of background to the book of Romans. In order to have some background to the book of Romans, we need to know about the guy who wrote it. His name was Paul. If you've ever heard of the Apostle Paul, basically means, apostle basically means he's a representative. He was a representative of Christ. And what Paul did during the first century was he traveled all throughout the Mediterranean area and he got together groups of Jesus followers and they became churches all these churches, he started to establish all these churches around the Mediterranean area in that first century. And as he went from city to city to city, he started to get word back about how these churches were doing. And some of it, he was like, yeah. And some of it, he thought, oh boy, we are in trouble there. So he started to write letters to these churches. And these letters made it into the New Testament and constitute most of the Old Testament, or New Testament, Paul's letters. And so the letter to the Romans is to to a church in Rome. It's to a church in Rome. So a little bit of background on the church in Rome. It was actually an older church, a group of believers of both what's called Gentiles, people that are of the non-Jewish tradition or the non-Jewish faith, and people who are Jewish. All believing in Jesus. But an interesting thing happened in Rome. They had an emperor that at one point, for one reason or another, said, all you Jews, beat it. Get out. Not welcome here anymore in Rome. And so they're expelled. All the Jews are expelled from Rome for five years. So the Roman church becomes this this group of Jesus following Gentiles who don't have all the Jewish traditions. And they're trying to live out their faith. They're trying to live out their followership of Jesus with none of the Jewish background. And then after five years, for one reason or another, all the Jews come back. And when the Jews come back, they're like, y'all don't, y'all don't, you work on Sundays, you're eating bacon and you're uncircumcised. And they're like, yeah, what about it? And I was like, and the Jews are like, nope, can't happen. And so there begins to be this conflict, and the church there is split. And Paul gets word of it, and he goes, I want you guys to be unified. And they're like, hold on a minute. We are grappling with all kinds of uncertainty. How are we going to be unified? And so Paul writes this letter. And some believe it's Paul's crowning achievement as far as those letters go. There is some really good stuff in the book of Romans because he goes all the way back to the beginning. The first three chapters of Romans are what's called about the depravity of humanity. I mean, he takes them low. But here in chapter eight, we reach a high point in Paul's letter to the Romans. It says this For I am what? I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else at all in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul is saying, if you want to talk about certainties, because I know Romans, y'all are asking the same questions as the church in the ranchos. Is there anything I can bank on? Especially now that I'm being told I can't eat bacon anymore. Right? And Paul says, I know y'all are asking the question, so let's talk, let me tell you about something that's certain. He says, I am convinced. I saw that word and I went, ooh, I'm going to look in other translations because I bet it uses the word certain. Certain. So if you're here this morning for the first time, and you're like, what's he talking about other translations? The Bible exists in many different translations. It's just different, not versions, but it's different ways of saying the same word of God. As an example, do people in Minnesota speak the way people in California do? Do people in Alabama speak the way people in Minnesota do? No, it's all English still. I mean, if you go to Louisiana, it might. But anyway, it's still all English. So I thought, let me look at a different translation, and I bet in one of those translations, it used the word certain. Paul says, I'm certain. I'm certain. Guess what? I didn't find it. They all, except for a few, use that word convinced. One of them uses the word persuaded. I'm persuaded. And I thought, hmm, let me dig a little deeper in that. Why would Paul use that word? I thought. And then I realized when he says, I'm convinced, he's saying, not only am I certain, but I arrived at this point through a period and a process that started at me being uncertain. I'm convinced. Those of you who have teenagers, get this. You have to convince them of everything. Paul says, I was once uncertain, and I went through a process where now I'm certain, and it's the process of being convinced or the process of being persuaded. So the question for us here this morning is how? How, Paul? That sounds like pretty good information, pretty valuable information. How did you arrive at something or some place where you could say, without a doubt, I'm certain of this. And the Holy Spirit confirms it in the, in the Word of God. So, in order to figure that out, we need to know a little bit more about Paul. So, the Bible actually talks about Paul's earlier life, the place from which he came. Little Bible study note: If you're ever going across a passage, passage that's like, "What in the world is this talking about?" Number one, put Jesus in the middle of it. How do you do that? You let Scripture confirm Scripture. So other places in Scripture, you go reference that, and you find that, "Er, that's connected," and "Oh, that's connected," and "Oh, that's connected." And so what, that's what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, find the book of Acts, A C T S. We're going to be in chapter 22. Put your finger there, or keep that uh, keep that tab open on your phone because we're gonna reference back there. But in Acts chapter 22, verse three, Paul gives us a little glimpse into where he came from. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, I studied under, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. He's talking to other Jews, high up ranking of upper echelon Jews. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So Paul's background is one where he was—he knew a lot of stuff. Keep your finger in Acts and turn to another letter Paul wrote to a church in Philippi called the letter to the Philippians. We're going to be in chapter three because there Paul peels back the veil a little bit more and gives us a little better glimpse into where he's coming from. Philippians chapter three, verses five and six. Paul says, the law about circumcision, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, bold statement right here. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, get this, faultless. I read that and went, that's bold. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul was more learned, more knowledgeable in the ways of law, scripture, doctrine, the Torah, than anyone else. He knew his Bible well. He could tell you what was acceptable and what wasn't. He he could tell you about the way things should be done and the way things shouldn't be done. As far as smarts and learnedness, Paul had it all. Wow, there's a line in the song there. Yeah. Yet in all of that, <clears throat> all that knowledge didn't clear up any of the uncertainty he, is, he was left with at the end of the day and called to live in day after day. All of that knowledge didn't clear up any of that uncertainty. But then something happened. You got your finger in Acts? Turn back there. Chapter 22. Skip ahead. We're not in verse 3 anymore. We're in verse 6. Acts chapter 22, verse 6. Something happens to Paul that I call a hinge, a life hinge moment. This side swings on it, and this side swings on it. It's never, it's it's not the same anymore. Paul says, there's actually another account of this. It's more of a third-party account in the book of Acts. But this is Paul's own words right here. Paul says, About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, that was his Jewish name. <clears throat> It said, Saul, Saul, get up. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. He said, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, where you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have what? And what you have seen and heard. And now... What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so suddenly, Paul goes from being someone who had a very deep knowledge of God to someone who had experienced God. Very, very important. He goes from someone who could recite scripture and dissect the meaning of words and their usage to someone who had a deep personal experience with the risen Jesus He went from someone who could tell you about the Messiah. The Torah speaks about it. The the Jewish scriptures speak about the coming Messiah. He went from someone who could tell you all about that to someone who said, now let me tell you what I experienced. And it started Paul on a journey that would allow him to eventually say, I'm convinced. I'm certain of this. Because now, interestingly enough, Paul was forced to live among the very people he had been persecuting. And daily, he had nothing left to rely on except God's grace, where all the head smarts, although it helped at the end of the day, didn't make a whole lot of difference. He had nothing left to rely on but God's grace. So that brings me to a thought for the day. People are not convinced through knowledge about. This is a great lesson for... People are not convinced through knowledge about. They become convinced through experience of. I could tell you a lot about a girl named Jennifer. I could tell you she's born on June 7th. I could tell you she hates seafood. I could tell you her favorite football team is the Cincinnati Bengals. I could also tell you what her hair looked like in high school. I could tell you a lot about a girl named Jennifer, but that did not bring me to a point where I said, I'm pretty convinced I wanna get married to this girl. It was through experiences with her that I became convinced, not the knowledge about. When I was growing up, I knew of a lot of people, I knew a lot of people who knew a lot about the Bible, but that wasn't anything that led me to believe that knowledge was cool. There were times when I was like, oh my gosh, it's the coolest story I've ever heard. How do you remember all of that? But that didn't lead me to believe. It was experience of God through those people, many of them anyway, that made me realize, like Paul says, that nothing can separate me from God's love. It wasn't all that knowledge. It was like I realized, let's just be honest here, all the things that exist in this world, everything we see here in this world, it's all uncertain. But after all this stuff is stripped away and all I have to rely on is God's grace, I become convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. This is the process through which I become convinced, through which I become, through which I move from uncertain to certain. It's almost, a lot of people use this word ironic uh, mistakenly. Maybe this is one of those times, but it seems ironic to me that it's the uncertainties that lead me to the one true certainty. It's such a strange thing. So, wow, burning it. Practical application here. Let's get real practical. Why is it we can sit in church where it's 72 and fluorescent? Thank goodness. And hear this on a Sunday morning, and a lot of us nod our heads, and oh, man, yeah, you know, take a deep breath. But then Tuesday morning, y'all know where you are on Tuesday morning, back in the cube, out on the job site, out on the field, in the shop. And Tuesday morning hits, and the stuff that comes along with Tuesday morning, and we go, I ain't so convinced anymore. Why is that? I, this is not a comprehensive list. I'm just throwing out a couple. I used to do this with junior high and high school students all the time. I'm like, guys, I'm going to give you two and the hands would go up. Oh, I know of one. I know of one. So you chances are you're going to have your own set because all of us are coming from unique experiences, unique places in life. So this is not a comprehensive list. It's just a couple to, to grease the skids. Number one, why? Why is it that we forget on Tuesday morning? I thought we're surrounded by a world that continues to tell us that nothing is certain, not even eternity. When we go, but wait, they go, no, I ain't waiting. That's not even certain. And then we go, oh, because the person is very persuasive or the environment is very kind of persuasive. That's why it's so important to not only read God's word. Paul knew a lot about that, but to look for experiences that, that confirm or affirm that word. Church, one of the most dangerous prayers and one of the most liberating prayers you will ever pray is God, give me experiences of you. Oh, that one should make you shudder. Because then his word starts to become personal and we start to become convinced. I think back when I was a teenager, there were like <clears throat> so many times where I would go, well, I was just weird. That didn't make any sense at all. And God goes, it made perfect sense. If you just read my word, you'd see that I'm trying to get your attention, knucklehead. We're surrounded by a world that continually, continues to tell us that nothing is certain, not even eternity. Number two, this is a big one for me. We encounter a new uncertainty. That's one of the biggest reasons, right? It's what we talked about up in front of the message. I had no idea this was going to be a thing. Are you kidding me? I got a march. I'm, I'm, almost into Home Depot and I got to march back and get a mask, a mask. I had no idea, a new uncertainty. And we go, I thought nothing can separate us meant this, nothing, none of this stuff in here. I didn't think this was part of that. Well, what did Paul say? Neither depth, neither height nor depth, nothing, not even the new stuff. When Paul says, anything else in all creation, that's like Paul's, I mean, and he gives a pretty broad description of things, right? He's talking about powers and authorities, heights and depths and things like that. And then he gets to the end of it all, and he goes, I know what you're thinking. You're probably going to think you left something out. Just in case that's the case, let me say this, anything else in all creation. It's like kind of, he smart bombs the whole thing and says, I'm going to make a blanket statement. Nothing, anything else in all creation, even the new uncertainties.'" Nothing can separate us from God's love. That is in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer in Christ, this is our claim. This is the claim right here. Nothing can separate us. And it's the good news that opposes the bad news that we talked about up front. Our faith in Jesus brings us into this standing where we can make this claim Nothing can separate me from God's love. Paul lived it because everything else was stripped away. The new uncertainties, they were nothing but new uncertainties for Paul. So as we close today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if maybe you have heard what it means to be saved or or, or heard a lot of this stuff, but maybe this morning is the first time you're like, okay, it makes sense. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do just that. Bible says when we admit our sin, when we believe in Jesus, and we confess that, that we are saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, if you've never done that before. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe your death on the cross paid for that sin. I turn from those sins and I invite you to come into my life. I trust you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, the Bible calls you a new creation. Congratulations, there's a party going on in heaven. I also would like to encourage you, let us know on those cards that are right here. We'd love to address any maybe follow-up questions you might have. If you're watching online, there's a way to connect with us there. There's a little connect button there on the app. We would love to answer any questions you may have. Also, interestingly enough, your next right practical and spiritual step would be a baptism. So we would love to have you be part of the baptism on the 13th that's coming up. I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we're going to continue in our time of worship. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the words of Paul that are your words, God, your inspired words. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us enough to not hold back anything, even your own son, so that nothing can separate us from your love. Jesus, help us to love you more and to rest in your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.